Hello and welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Data, analytics, big data, data science, machine learning, customer insight, behavioral science, blockchain, data ops, data engineering, agile working, phew, too many terms, too many things to think about. Do you as a leader need somewhere to turn, to hear what other leaders are doing, to hear what really makes a difference in your business? Welcome. The Customer Insight Leader Podcast is here for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a different leader in the fields of customer insight, data, and analytics to hear what they really do, what really makes a difference. So settle down, get that cup of coffee, and enjoy the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast, a place to hear from today's leaders in the fields of customer insight, data science, and analytics. I'm your host, Paul Lockling, and with me today is Gabriel Straw. Gabriel is the Chief Data Officer at Ocado Technology, where he's led their data and data science efforts for over two, nearly three years now, following successful data science leadership roles at the BBC and Tesco, amongst others, which I'm, I'm sure we'll hear more about. He's also a guest lecturer at the London Business School and an honorary senior research associate at UCL. So he's also still active on that academic side. Gabriel describes himself as a passionate data science strategist who believes that clever analytics and big data can make life less complicated for customers and colleagues. Now that sounds like a great goal for a leader and I don't know about you listeners, but I'm keen for my life to become a bit less complicated. So I'm delighted to have him join us today. Welcome Gabriel. Thank you very much, Paul, for having me. Looking forward to our conversation today. Great, me too. Thanks for your time uh, and the opportunity to hear your unique perspective on the world of data and analytics leadership. It's been a a joy for me to discover all the different voices and interests and personalities that that come across in in hearing from the data leaders I do on this podcast. And I'm, I'm delighted to share your perspective as well. As you probably know, with all the guests I have on this podcast, I ask them initially to share their backstory, their career story, if you like, so listeners know where they're coming from and the, the, the foundation of everything that you share with us. So, Gabriel, could you tell us a bit about your backstory and how you grew into the work that you do today? Yes, of course. Um, I originally studied maths, uh, probably because my dad is a mathematician and I always enjoyed maths in school as well. Mm. Um, and then for a long time, didn't really know or what I was studying. I didn't really have a clear uh, idea of what I wanted to do. Uh, and so yeah. I had an opportunity to uh, join a management consultancy and work in that field for a little bit with uh, for a little while. Sorry. Um, mm-hmm. I then came back to the UK uh, and did a master's in business administration uh, mm-hmm. at London Business School. Uh-huh. And during that time, I realized that actually I had an interesting combination of good business knowledge and kind of a mathematical understanding. And when I then had the opportunity to join Tesco and set up a data science team there, that was kind of really my start of uh, going into the data career. And kind of as they say, right, like the the rest is history. So since then, I've been (laughs) in that field. Um, I've then worked for a smaller organization called Not on the High Street. um, Yeah. Was the first data director there. Then joined the BBC for a couple of years, getting them more comfortable with um, data and machine learning. And now for, yeah. Now currently being at um, Ocado Technology, looking after data science, data analytics, data engineering, and data governance as uh, the first chief data officer that they've had. 
Right, right. So you've had a couple of times during your career when you've been the first that organisation has had then, the first data director and the first CDO of Decato Technology as well. Do you enjoy that kind of pioneering of shaping a role that hasn't existed before? I think I've been incredibly lucky of being brought into organisations when they were kind of making that switch of investing more into data. And maybe in that way, it's also become the thing that I've become quite good at, right? I mentioned earlier about that I've been sitting between that business and the math side. Mm. And so I think kind of one of the things that I'm strong at is that being that translator or being that kind of product mm. person who thinks about actually what's the value that I can get out of data. And mm. so maybe, yeah, once you've done it a couple of times, you get and tapped on the shoulder again to do it again if there's an organization that's looking for someone to try and yes. help them yes. take those initial journey or kind of to, to take them to the next step. Yes, yes, that makes sense. You know, we've heard a number of other leaders on, on this podcast talk about the importance of that that kind of translator skill. I'm struck as well. It's interesting the themes that emerge as you talk to more and more leaders on this podcast. A number of successful senior data and analytics leaders like yourself started off in management consultancy and also had the experience of working across a few sectors. Um, now, a number have said that was quite a good grounding for them. They learned a lot of transferable skills that stood them in good stead later is would that be your testimony about it as well Gabriel? Yes I definitely think that management consulting helps you uh, figure out how to tell a good story and I think kind of a lot of data mm. is a good story of value mm. and so mm. you learn a lot of that stuff right like how to you know from the the really kind of basic stuff around how to write good powerpoint slides and how to make yeah. it engaging to really good stakeholder skills because you you tend to work with people that are quite senior up uh, in an organization, even though you're quite uh, early on in your career. So I think it's definitely been very, very helpful from that perspective. Um, and the second one around like having worked in multiple industries, mm -hmm. I think at the beginning, you, you kind of, I remember when I went into media um, for the first time and I was talking to a former boss of mine who had done the other way around. So he had founded a company uh, in the media space that was then acquired by, by Tesco. And then he ended up being the managing director for Tesco Online. And I was talking to him around like the differences between media and retail. And he said, actually, you know what? There's not that many differences. And I was, I was a bit surprised by that. But then mm -hmm. after being in media for a while, I realized that actually, you know what? A lot of organizations are really struggling with the same things. It's, you have a business model that is based around a kind of offline experience, or, you know, be it stores or be it um, uh, televisions. And you're trying to transfer this or transform this into a place where it's all digitally first. Mm -hmm. so actually, from that perspective, it is true that having that, having worked in different industries, you realize how much commonality there is. And maybe it, mm -hmm. it helps you really fine-tune a bit of your, um, you know, your, your, your toolkit. Because a lot of data roles are transformation roles. A lot of the time, yeah. it's about helping the organization take that next step. Yeah, it's very true. It's, it's a theme, actually, I think I'm hearing more and more that, Data leaders are, are key roles on what maybe the organization more broadly thinks of as digital transformation. And, and even though a lot of people out there might think all oh, that digital transformation buzzword stuff, that that's all led by the CTO and the IT team. Is your experience also that data leaders like you are critical to digital transformation working in organizations? So I think kind of data always sits a little bit between engineering and product. Um, and that mm. kind of means we probably have more of a producty voice than uh, maybe the rest of engineering has. But we're mm. also much more closer to being an engineering function because we actually often write production code. Yeah. And so I think from that perspective, I definitely agree with that. I think the other thing is data organizations tend to be a bit smaller, but therefore they have a wider sense of what's happening because they focus yeah. on a few things here and there. 
um, and kind of really care about the end-to-end -end because data can only deliver value if kind of it has that end-to-end -end perspective. So I definitely agree that it, it contributes quite a valuable perspective to yeah. digital transformation. Yeah, uh, okay. So Thanks, I'm kind of sometimes I'm a bit, a bit nervous too about that word of transformation because transformation feels like it's a it's a project that has a beginning and an end. And I think the reality today is that most of the time that's not really kind of the way the world works, right? Like you need to constantly adapt and adjust mm. and change. Mm. Um, and that's that's the only thing that makes me a bit think about this. Well, transformation, yeah, but it's not a one-off. It's like you're continuously trying to get your organization to take the stuff serious, mm. invest into it, um, and yeah, improve in that space. Yeah, no, good, good warning, Gabriel. Com completely agree with you on that. I, I reviewed a while ago on the, on the blog a book called Why Digital Transformations Fail. And, and in the model, it's got of that, that the final step is all about living DNA and continuing to stay ahead and, and how you ensure it's in the embedded in the culture and embedded in the way of working to be scanning and understanding what enabling technologies could make possible and to just almost as routine change management thinking be always looking for ways you could disrupt the existing to improve so yeah, yeah. and i think also kind of most organizations are not kind of immature or mature right like they're mixed they will have certain areas where they're way ahead yeah. of the curve and then other areas where there's a bit of catching up to do and therefore it's much more complex than just say let's let's run a project and move from a non-digitally native organization to a digitally native um, organization yeah 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 no completely agree Linking back to your kind of career story, thank you for sharing that with us. I know when I've chatted to you before, your passion for retail, if you like, is the best way I can put it, kind of comes through. You've, you've clearly found it a fascinating sector to work on with lots of interesting problems to solve. So I wonder, given you've got some experience of working elsewhere as well, do you think retail is such an ideal environment for these interesting data problems? that all data leaders should just plan to have a spell in retail at some point in order to really learn their craft. Is it that useful? I think kind of there's retail and there's grocery retail. And kind of as you, you know, I've, I've been almost more passionate about grocery retail. Right. And I just want to talk a little bit about what I think is so interesting about grocery retail. So okay. in general, grocery retail is unique because the margins are very small. Kind of, I think kind of during times of um, very successful retailers have uh, like five point something percent in margin. Mm. And mm. um, that means that there's a lot of focus on efficiencies and stuff like that, which kind of is a great environment for data to work in. I think grocery mm. retail is also really interesting because you have a lot of repeat purchases and that makes it a bit different. You have different temperature regimes and then you have shelf life uh, of, of products, et cetera. So it's, it's quite complex, but mm. there's also a lot of repeat behavior of your customers. And that makes it incredibly, yeah, in my view, incredibly interesting. If I look at the problems that we look at from a kind of um, technology perspective, yeah. Right, like our, our problem space um, covers search engines and recommendation engines on the front end. It covers last mile and supply chain optimization kind of in between. There's a fulfillment work that we're doing around like how do you efficiently pick in stores or how do you make robots whiz around on the grid in the most efficient way? There's yeah. like some stuff around how to use camera to do robotic pick or how to use cameras to figure out where your bots are on the grid and stuff like that. It's just, mm. it's really, what I find really interesting is this link of the digital world uh, and the, uh, if you want the the physical work world mm. and the hardware mm. world, and I think kind of that for me makes especially grocery retail and Ocado a really fascinating place to be because it makes it easier to make an argument of why data and machine learning matters. Yes. Um, but it's also kind of not just a digital thing that's quite removed from kind of the impact on people. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. Because a lot of what you shared is really interesting. You, you put me in mind, actually, I'm, I'm remembering my com conversation with Rob Barham at, at Gusto, who was talking as well about this fascinating, um, the physical and the digital uh, and data helping in both and being able to see how you could optimize the kind of factory operation that they have at Gusto to, to so personalize what they produce. I, I wonder, you first mentioned though about those small margins. Is this a classic example of constraints and limitations drive more innovation, drive more creative thinking? Or is there something specific about data can help when you haven't got much money to spend and your margins are small? I think retail or grocery retail in particular is around um, where data helps is around two things. I think kind of if you ever observe a parent with a child walking around a supermarket, Mm. Um, you appreciate that it's not something that people love doing in most cases, right? Like definitely there's some people who love grocery <laughs> shopping, but the majority of people, it's a bit of a, a chore, right? So there's a very mm. clear customer mm. need to make grocery shopping simple. Mm. I think on Ocado, you can get 40 or 50,000 SKUs that we offer. That choice is just, it's, you know, it's huge. Yeah. And obviously the reason exists because everyone has like different preferences, but you need to make that then as simple as possible. Mm. But then actually online grocery is also incredibly operationally complex. And then yeah. there's a lot, and that therefore kind of, right, there's a lot of value in trying to optimize that and make it as simple as possible. But mm -hmm. there is a lot of competition as well. And I think that drives a lot of that, that margin pressure. And yeah, definitely, I think kind of it's one of the reasons why um, there's been more investment into that space. I think kind of in general, retail was one of the earlier ones out of the block in, uh, yeah. in terms of using data. I think kind of it was in the 40s or 50s that I think Target or Nordstrom used data to figure out where to put their stores. Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of, you know, uh, I think Walmart is famous for having been one of the first private companies of having a satellite, a private satellite to help them track their supply chain. Because mm. there is just so much. Yeah, it, it just kind of pushes innovation if you uh, uh, in order to release that value. Yes. Yeah. So it's almost more the, the combination of the complexity of the logistics and the operation and the choice that you're, you're trying to optimize and manage efficiently and the need to deliver a less complicated, simple, enjoyable customer experience. And I think also the scale is huge, right? So if you think yes. about the market for grocery retail, everyone kind of needs to eat, right? So actually, <laughs> even, so. Though the, yeah, even though the margins are small, kind of making a small change actually on the, on the total revenue or profit impact can be quite big. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. That makes sense as to the, the business case. Okay, well, I'll, I'll leave listeners to decide whether they need to rush out and get a job in grocery retail for their next career move. When we've chatted before, another thing that I remembered from, from hearing about your career story was the skills that you learn at Tesco's and this transition for you, to use that word again, um, into uh, leadership roles and learning to sell internally, learning to build a team. I, I was interested how, how you learned those skills. I, I know, for instance, that DJ Patel was, was a technical mentor to you, but did you have anyone who mentored you in learning those other leadership skills you needed to learn as well as your technical excellence? Yes, yeah, so I think kind of one of the things I've learned early on is in sometimes in large organizations, there's a lot of change and there's a lot of restructuring happening. Mm. I think kind of, I had five different bosses in my first year at Tesco. Wow. And so kind of that meant that I relied a lot less on my direct boss and much more on kind of trying to find mentors, et cetera. Um, okay. And so I had some really good support internally. I think a lot of it was also to be fair at that point, no one really knew what they were doing in that space. And that meant that we could try out different things and could see what worked and what didn't work. So there was a lot of kind of trial and error as well around like, how do you run a data team? What's the right skills that you need to put in place? 
how do you work together with the business? How do you build the right business case? You know, what do you build yourself versus when do you rely on your technology or IT teams? Hmm. And yeah, I think kind of those two things together as in having the space to experiment because no one had the answer yet and then having good support from the more general, uh, in the more general way of kind of how do you pick your battles? How do you hmm. uh, manage stakeholders in a large organization? That was definitely very helpful. Okay. Okay. That sounds good and, and a great support for you, I can see. Are there any particular lessons you can recall that you learned through that opportunity of having having that support and that that time to kind of experiment in some ways what, what did you learn about building a successful data team was there anything that surprised you that you hadn't kind of understood before but you really learned in getting that freedom to experiment and see what worked i think to be honest it's been kind of something that i've been refining across the journey there was definitely a bunch of stuff yeah. that we did back then that i don't think i would do again and that we're doing differently at ocado Mm. Um, for me, the biggest learning in building a data team now is you need to, as much as possible, minimize the interfaces. So in the past, and if we were running separate data teams, and then there was always a question around, oh, we've built this thing, but how do we get into production? Mm. Or oh, we're not really feeling like we get the right information at the right time. So definitely now my learning over having done this a couple of times is mm. the more and more you can embed your data teams the more and more it's you, you're working on the same roadmaps, or basically you don't have your own individual roadmap, it's just one single product roadmap. Mm. The easier it is to get to value, but mm. also that means that you need to have a lot more input into the kind of the, the inputs into your work, right? So you need to have some sort of sense of what does data quality look like. That's one of the reasons why at Ocado now, kind of my remit covers data governance and data engineering, which is if you want yeah. thinking about creating valuable data, but it also covers data analytics and data science because that's kind of the extraction of that value. And I think kind of you have to have a, an, an ability to influence the whole end-to-end -end data mm. pipeline mm. in order to be mm. really able mm. to drive the value. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that, Gabriel. Even though it was uh, more years ago for me, I, I completely remember the benefit of taking responsibility and bringing into one more complete function what had previously been disparate teams, like even though I was leading the analytics stats kind of data science people, getting the data management people in uh, as part of the function, which included some data engineering skills and, and getting the market research people in and bringing in consultancy skills, et cetera. Because I know what you mean, if you own more of the value chain, haven't heard it expressed as reducing the interfaces, that's quite a nice way of putting it. But if you own more of it, you can not just make it more efficient, you can, encourage the kind of knowledge sharing that makes everyone in those roles better at what they do, have a more holistic view of what's possible. Yeah, and you can make sure you that as well. Mm. Yeah, you can also make sure that people are putting in the same direction. Yeah. Because I think kind of one of yeah. the biggest lessons again for me, um, I think I've learned over the, the recent years is if the data producers are not clear why they're producing the data, right? If that mm. feedback loop is broken, it's very difficult to get them to care about it. Yeah. Um, and that's really what you need in order to make sure that you create the value out of it. You, they need to know why they're doing what they're doing and what the benefit it is creates. And you need to make sure that the data consumers kind of have as close a link to the people um, that are producing their data as possible. Yes, 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 yes. Then that's, that's, that's good counsel. Okay, well, I'll, I'll resist the temptation to talk about um, know your why and, and all that Senec kind of stuff. But let's, let's zero in maybe on, on everyone knowing why they're doing things. One thing that I heard in your career story that's a bit different from some of the other guests we've had on the podcast is a number of those on the podcast have chosen to do master's degrees or PhDs in some data-related subject, 
or, or technical subject. You chose to do an MBA instead. I'm interested to, to dig into both why and how it's helped having done an MBA rather than maybe a PhD in data science, for instance. Yeah, so I think the reason why I did an MBA was partly because at that point I was in consulting and everyone consulting does an MBA. Oh, okay. um, so I think there's okay. a little bit of the, the simple answer. Hmm. Um, I think also because I had a technical background, I felt that actually having a bit more of that understanding of hmm. the business side would be really helpful. Hmm. Um, I didn't feel that learning much more maths in a way, right, like would would uh, provide me quite as much uh, help as understanding a little bit more, you know, how do organizations work? Yeah. Um, how do you get stuff done? And I think that's what an MBA can be really strong about. And I definitely feel that it's it's helped me from that perspective. I think it's also helped me just understand and speak the language much more. Yeah. And again, coming back to this, I think the, the biggest, uh, the most important skill of data people is being able to tell the story, right? Not everyone understands data or the machine learning or something. Like that. And the majority of people probably don't need to. No. It's up to us to kind of adjust, uh, adjust our language mm. uh, in a way that, helps our business stakeholders understand why what we bring is valuable and therefore being able to you know speak that language i think has been incredibly valuable it also means that i i think sometimes uh, if you just uh, in the data world you can it's like the typical if all you have a, uh, is a hammer everything looks like a nail yeah actually sometimes maybe machine learning isn't the right answer maybe something sometimes it's about incentives right or sometimes maybe it's about changing the way that we think about the product and the answer should be a really, really simple approach to data rather than the next exciting deep learning model that um, you've come across. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Com completely agree with that learning. And I think a number of data leaders could do with being much more fascinated with the real needs of the organization than, than the latest technical solution that, that fascinates them. You, you kind of zeroed in there, Gable, on, on the storytelling and this translator role skill. Are you saying then that you learned the craft of translating from technical to business speak through the MBA? You learned your storytelling there? Or did that just start you on the journey and you've kind of learned your storytelling skills by doing since then? Yeah, so I definitely think like most of these things, it's a bit of an apprenticeship, right? I mean, yeah. I would argue that data by itself is, a, is an apprenticeship. So I think I've learned yeah. a lot of it during my consulting days. Mm. I then learned more doing an MBA and kind of seeing how other people from different backgrounds would do that kind of stuff. Mm. And then... Mm. You know, it's one of those things that you're never quite good enough at. So I'm, I'm mm. sure I'm still continuing to learn a lot, you know, uh, for conversations with other data leaders and also by kind of seeing how other executives are, um, are kind of telling their stories. Mm. But yeah, I think kind of it's been a, it definitely helped, but I don't think it's the only place that I've learned that okay. stuff. Okay. Are, are there any other particular things that have helped along the way? Is it just the variety of projects you've applied them to? Or can you think of something else? that's really developed your storytelling or translation skills? That's a really good question. I think it's probably um, kind of learning a bit more around different people's perspectives. Mm. So I think kind of both in terms of, you know, trying things out within an organization and sometimes they didn't work so well. So I remember uh, we were building a uh, price optimization tool and we were really proud about how smart it was. And so we went we had, and we had tested it on a category and it was delivering significant margin improvements. Hmm. And so we went to a different category and we said, look, we have this amazingly smart tool that takes into account competitive prices and takes into account price elasticities mm -hmm. and it can deal with good, better, best products. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you have an amazing price. And the category came back to us and said, well, you know what? That might have worked for toasters, but it definitely wouldn't work for TVs because TVs are different. 
Mm-hmm. And we then went to another category and we had heard that they had just a bunch of people had left and actually they were struggling to just stay on top of um, their prices. Mm-hmm. And so to them, we saw that as more of a, look, this takes away a lot of the work that you have to do. It kind of means that you can be compliant with a lot less effort. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, in addition to the MA, I think it's been those experiences of actually, if you try to oversell the smartness, people probably what they take away from it is not that you have a smart solution, but that you're telling them that they're stupid or not as smart as you think. Yeah. So, and this comes back to why I really care about like making lives easier. I think that's been the much better selling point. But like coming back to this, um, if you watch a, a parent with their child go through a shopping center, we're mm-hmm. not telling them that we can do shopping better than them, but it's about understanding that it's not easy for them and it's maybe not where they want to spend their time. Mm-hmm. And so it's taking away some of that friction some of that drudgery of maybe some of the effort that they're doing and making that easier for them. I think that was a big realization and that was more of a realization of, yeah, having different projects that I've worked on or different products and having had multiple conversations with clients, but also internal clients, but also with other um, data leaders and kind of seeing what worked for them as well. Thank you. Thank you. That makes sense. Thank you. And I'm delighted to hear that uh, customer empathy centric element of that. As a mentor myself, it, it was great to hear when we've talked before the clarity you've come to really as to your key skills, what, what sets you apart, Gabriel. And I know I've heard you mention during this conversation as well, um, helping organisations lead change and being that translator, explaining what they need to put in place for, for something like transformation. I wonder how did you come to clarity as to what are your key skills? What are the things that almost only you can do and you really need to lean into as the the main thing that you offer? I think kind of the concept of data science made it across the pond to the UK in about 2012 or something like that. Mm. And then um, I've had quite a few conversations with people in that space around like, well, what is a data scientist? And I think slowly um, you almost had like three subcategories of data scientists, right? You had the people that were really strong in maths, Mm -hmm. you had the people that were really strong in engineering, and you had the people that were really strong in kind of the business understanding. Mm. And I think kind of building that framework for myself and uh, kind of or kind of taking that framework was really helpful for me to understand, okay, where do I sit within that space? And definitely I'm more on the product side of things, uh, as I mentioned earlier. Mm. And then again, you can kind of go down to that. Okay, what does that mean? Well, product is all about understanding the value, but kind of not just understanding the value at the beginning as in let's figure out what we need to do and translating that into something that can be solved. But then also at the end, kind of de-extracting the value. As in, we've now built a solution and we need to get the organization to uh, adapt to that. Hmm. And I I felt that in general, that was also the hardest part of any project. Hmm. Um, It was like the beginning of really nailing down what is it that you need that is solvable. And then kind of doing the maths and the the data science in the middle was kind of almost easy Hmm. or the easier part of it. And then again, the the making sure that the organization changes. And I think kind of by having gone through this a couple of times, I realized, well, this is maybe something where uh, the people I was hiring were really good in the middle. And the ones that I found kind of were really strong in the other parts as well, kind of there were less, few of them, which again, then kind of made me put more effort into getting stronger in those areas again. So yeah, I think it was a mix of that, trying to really understand what data science is and how do you break it down? And then kind of realizing on projects where I felt that the big challenges were that we weren't able to solve quite as quickly maybe as, as other parts. Yes, yeah, oh, that's really nice. Yeah, I, I love the idea that the, the famous original Venn diagram still works, that you've got the, the maths and stats circle, the overlapping um, programming, technical skills, engineering, hacking kind of circle, and you've got the, the, the business understanding, the application, the consultancy 
kind of stuff. Yeah, I definitely think it's still the best way of kind of dividing the. You could maybe even argue the data world into yes. uh, into kind of what they really dare to do. So yeah, I, I agree. I, I think and it's also simple enough, right? Like so, you can understand it quite easily, which is nice. Yes, 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 yes. And I, I liked in your answer as well the fact that you're kind of looking for how you complement what's already covered by other people. You know, others might be doing really well some of the center of the the overlapping sets, but a bit weaker on that business translation uh, and, and delivery kind of side. And, and so you lent into that. How did you, was it just that you felt the need was there? Or how did you learn that, I love doing this, I've got a natural aptitude to this, it, it fits me and it feels right for me? You talked a little bit about like knowing the why earlier. Yeah. And there's definitely, I've always been a curious person around like, why are we doing this? Um, and I have an interest uh, in behavioral economics and hmm. why customers are not necessarily behaving as rationally as you would expect them to, hmm. or colleagues hmm. don't necessarily behave as rationally as you would expect them to. Hmm. So I think in a way there was a certain um, kind of existing interest that I had. And then, yeah, having been in consulting, having done an MBA, that kind of all of that fit quite well. Yes. Yes, that that's a, that's a nice that's a nice join up of several parts really of career. And I can completely see Kahneman and others um, understanding of behavioral economics, um, making that just more a, a more fascinating problem. I think once you get into focusing on the complexity of the psychology of human behavior, then it's it's almost sometimes a more interesting problem. I think than yeah, no, I think straightforward I'm... mathematics problems. Go on, Gabriel. Yeah, I was going to say like data is an observation of human behavior in most cases. Uh, it's mm. not always the case, right? So there's definitely, even in the Yokado world, some of data is an observation of, um, you know, hardware yeah. doing stuff. Yeah. But a lot of it is there's an interaction with customers or colleagues in some shape or form, right? And I think kind of it's really important that you appreciate that, not only in order to yeah. understand why the data is sometimes maybe a bit more messy than you would expect, but also in the end of the day, data or machine learning has no value unless it changes something. And often what you're trying to change is human behavior. You're trying yeah. to get them to find the product faster that they're looking for, or you're trying to do get them to do a process slightly more efficiently. And I think it's important to keep that in mind um, if you want to build a great product that takes advantage of the power of data and machine learning. Yes, yes. Back to that theme of kind of human empathy and fascination in people again. Good, good answer, Gabriel. Um, one of the reasons that I invite senior leaders like you onto the podcast is so that our audience, particularly those who might be earlier in their career, they, they hear that even though these people might look on paper to be very successful, and you got a very successful role and successful academically as well, Gabriel, they're still works in progress. They're not a finished, you know, they've arrived and they're, they've just learned it all. So I like to give leaders an opportunity to share how they're still growing, still developing, still a, an incomplete work, if you like. So how are you still developing as a leader, not just from a technical perspective, Gabriel? Oh, it's a, it's a great question. I think, wow, where, where, where do you almost, where do you start? Um, <laughs> I think there's always, once that you become a leader, there's always an interesting question around how do you balance all of the stuff that you should be on top of, right? Like mm -hmm. every mm -hmm. new, every week, there's probably a new technical thing that's being um, published. Mm -hmm. And the reality is once that you have a wide enough remit, there's no way that you can stay on top of everything. Agreed. But in certain places, you might need to go more into the detail because maybe there's a bit more of an issue there. Mm. And I think kind of building that comfort and not knowing everything, mm. but kind of knowing when you need to go into the detail and, mm. and trusting mm. yourself that you can go into the detail enough um, yeah, where, where it's necessary. 
I think that's definitely something that I'm still um, wrestling with a little bit at times. Mm. Um, data governance was new to me. So how much of data governance do I need to know or, or how much do I just say, fine, I'm going to trust that I'm hiring the right leaders and they will get on with it. And I would kind of ask probing questions where it's for my, where I need to know it enough in order to explain to others, but I don't need to be in the same level in that space as I might be in other areas where it's, yeah, where maybe I've, I've spent a bit more time beforehand. Yes. I think being yes. comfortable with not knowing everything as your remit grows can be quite challenging. And that's definitely something, yeah, that I'm, I'm still working on. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's something else that's being called out by, by others on, on this podcast, including Sanjeev, then, actually. I, I'm interested, though, that your, your spin has almost not just been that growth into a leader with being comfortable with not having the answer and not knowing, but also that aspect of how much do I need to dig into a, a sufficient understanding on technical subjects? And I'm guessing, in some ways, that's sort of harder for people who have got a lot of natural curiosity, maybe had some academic success in, in having real depth in elements uh, of what they cover, it must be very tempting to want to go deep on, on data governance because you kind of know you could get your head around it, but that could also be a rabbit warren that just takes too much of your time and it's not what you should be doing. Is that a temptation you find yourself having to resist? I think kind of it then comes back to the, the, the conversation that we had earlier around like, where do I feel my strengths are? Right, so yeah. is really knowing a lot more about the technical side of data governance going to be my strength? It's probably more like, oh, actually, the thing that is my uh, where I feel I'm strong is value. So that's when I will then go more into detail. Hmm. So what is the value of data governance? Why does it matter? And in our case, we say actually, you know what, data governance is maybe the wrong word because it's not about governing the data for the sake of governing it. It's more about like getting the value out of it. So it's about data utility, hmm. and so kind of I then have to comfort myself in a way of, of making sure, okay, where I can really contribute is then having those conversations around, well, what does that mean? How do we get into utility? How do we shift our approach to governance to be much more focused on that side? And that way, then I feel like it's a, it's a fair, it's, it's maybe a good way for me where I'm still dipping my uh, feet into it and I'm getting my curiosity sorted. Mm -hmm. But it's also something where I'm building on my existing strength rather than trying to have my, my hands maybe in too many pies. Yeah, that make that makes sense. Got elements of of lean into it and elements of essentialism almost there. Yeah, no, that's a good good answer. Okay, Gabriel, it's been been great to, to talk with you. Um, we could go on for ages, but but I, I sadly our time is is limited to some extent. I, I'm keen to also get your wisdom on, on helping those in our audience who might be earlier in their careers. I, I mentioned before, from what I understand, the audience of this podcast is about equally split between those who are more at the stage that you are in your career, fellow senior data leaders who are fascinated in one another, perhaps, um, and those who are earlier in their careers and perhaps looking to pick up tips and learn how they might go on to great success in their career. So given what you've learned, looking back now or thinking about those you hire, what are your tips for those who are early in their career? What should they focus on developing, perhaps that you see missing in some of the candidates you get? Yeah, so one of the things when uh, I interview people that always matters to me is can they link the technical with the, the value or the business side of it? Mm. Um, there's definitely more people out there who are technically really strong. Mm -hmm. But I think to set you apart, you need to be curious about the why. Why mm. are you doing what you're doing? And one of the things that I've seen kind of um, people who end up being quite great at this do is that they kind of, they, they almost find like, projects that of, of data things that they would be interested in right so yeah. for example i don't know uh, before i joined the bbc i was like really curious around 
what uh, links does the BBC link out to? And is there something that you can learn out of that? So I ended up scraping the BBC website and kind of basically looking at the domains it was going out to because I was trying to understand how does that work as in the kind of ecosystem right. of, um, of, of news. And I think it's almost like finding something like this that you can really get into that you see has some value and then learning how to tell the story around it. Mm. It's definitely one of the things that I recommend um, people when they ask me, oh, how do I get started in this space? Because it's often doing the simplest technical thing that provides value is really what you will be asked when you join most organizations, right? Most data roles are not research roles. Yeah. They are production roles or they're value roles. Yeah. And therefore you've been kind of finding the shortest path to insight or to value, I think is, is really important. And therefore training that muscle. Mm. Um, and you train that muscle by trying to define a problem, working through the problem, and then also kind of telling the story of what you've done afterwards. Mm. So that's definitely, I think, the one thing that I would recommend people to focus on, especially early in their career. That's great. Thank you, Gabriel. And something I don't think that does get enough um, airtime. Yeah, I love that turn of phrase, the, the, the shortest path to, to insight or, or to relevance and thinking of it like a, a muscle that you work. And I, I think I get what you mean, that it's not just a theoretical thing you learn. It is something you develop as a craft or as a muscle by the application of when it does get you to insight quicker and when it does prove to be relevant and help in the organisation. And when it doesn't and ways that you've become over technical or you fail to understand part of the problem so is that how you would encourage people to see it that this is where they should focus their development but it won't just be a book exercise they'll learn this by doing yeah because like the data is not going to be as clean as you think the data might not be available some data might not mm. be available right like there's mm. a lot of assumptions you'll have to make you need to figure out which assumptions are fine to make which ones do you need to validate and then maybe the interest that you have in the space isn't the interest that your client has in the space so there's also coming back to the, the word that you've uh, brought up quite a lot, that empathy of your customer or your colleague mm. and being able to really try and kind of figure out why does, why would they care? Yeah. What do I need to do to make them care? Yes. Yes, absolutely. The way you articulate that, it's, it, it's so true to what you've identified as, as your key differentiators, that, that data translation that help people understand what's needed to make change. Thank you. Great answers. Thank you for your thoughts today, Gabriel. It's been brilliant. Many thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure to chat with you, as I knew it would be. Thanks a lot, Paul, for having me. Great time to you as well. Great. And thank you, everybody, also for listening. I hope you found that helpful and continue to listen to the Customer Insight Leader podcast. More great interviews coming up. And each week, there's also fresh content on our blog, customerinsightleader, or one word, dot com. So you might want to check that out too. Before then, it just remains for me to say thanks to everybody once again. Have a great week and perhaps reflect on some of those themes that Gabriel identified were coming through in our conversation. The, the theme of, of empathy toward the people you're, you're trying to help and knowing the why, knowing why in your organisation. How well do you get that? How well can you help your teams get that as well? OK, food for thought. Bye for now.